the Space Show podcast will be on its annual summer hiatus for six weeks. In its place, we are pleased to present our summer series, Lunar Science in the Artemis Era. Lunar Science focuses on the science to be done on and around the Moon by both robotic missions and the crewed Artemis missions. Lunar Science Welcome to Lunar Science, the series in which we discuss the scientific investigation of the Moon and its environment in the Artemis era. organization makes a plan of what it wants to do, the result is often called a roadmap. It will not surprise you to learn that NASA has many such roadmaps, particularly for the Artemis project. So roadmaps is our topic for episode 18. Amy Fagan of the Lunar and Planetary Institute gave a talk in May of 2020 that began with a history of roadmaps, then moved on to the Lunar Exploration Roadmap. This is a, an overview talk of the Lunar Exploration Roadmap. Uh, but the Lunar Exploration Roadmap is this document that was uh, made by the Lunar Exploration Analysis Group, which is made up of a wide variety of people. We've got life scientists and planetary scientists and engineers and folks from the commercial companies. So it's it's a really diverse, great group of people that are all interested in, in analyzing issues relative to lunar exploration. And so today I'll talk about uh, the lunar exploration roadmap. So the, the first thing that I do wanna talk about, which already has been covered, is you know Apollo did some really great things for us, but it wasn't very sustainable. And sustainable is one of these words that has been used a lot today. So in 2006, League received a request to create something uh, referred to as the Lunar Goals document, which would then become our Lunar Exploration Roadmap. And the task was to map out different science goals to very specific objectives, what observations we would need, what measurements we would need, uh, what sort of technological develops, developments would be needed, and how we would be able to coordinate with commercial and international partners. And then the, the last component of the Lunar Goals document was supposed to have this uh, set of feed-forward activities. So how can we utilize the moon to explore other locations in the solar system? But really the, the main idea for the 
lunar exploration roadmap is how do we get to the moon to stay? And so it goes back into that idea of being sustainable. The roadmap is a living document. It has had a couple of updates. Uh, one was in 2010 after uh, the Augustine Commission to try to create um, more documentation of how we can use the moon to explore other airless bodies. And then in 2013, uh, we received some feedback from the Mars Exploration Program Analysis Group. And so we've included some of those updates as well. But it's probably time for another one. Uh, we've had a specific action team that looked at different knowledge gaps. Uh, we had a collaboration with the International Space Exploration Coordination Group to look at volatiles on the moon. And this was actually a second specific action team. We looked at where we've been in terms of the science. What have we accomplished? What do we still need? What are the next steps on the moon? Uh, and then we've had a couple of workshops that have really generated a lot of interesting results, including the land admissions workshop and the survive and operate through the lunar night workshop. And then, of course, every year we have the annual league meetings, which are really important because this brings together people from all over our community. And again, it's a really diverse group of people. And so we get diverse perspectives uh, being brought to the table. And that's how we're going to be able to have these really great ideas of getting to the moon, staying at the moon, and, and being sustainable. One that's really important is that the moon is on the pathway to Mars. Uh, for us to be able to get to Mars and get to some of these other locations, we really need to go to the moon and test some of those technologies. And as Sam said, it's only a few days away. Another theme was that we need to have a sustained human presence on and around the moon, that we need to have coordination with the private sector. Again, we're starting to have that coordination uh, with the CLIPS partners and the importance of in-situ resource utilization. If we're going to have a sustainable presence on the lunar surface, around the lunar surface, we have to have ISRU. And then I wanted to bring up again uh, this international collaboration that we've had with the International Space Exploration Coordination Group in that Volatiles uh, specific action team. And so Volatiles is another thing that we've, we've heard a lot about. We're gonna keep hearing it because it's important for us to have that sustainable presence on the moon and then to go other places in the solar system. But there are three main themes on the roadmap. We have science, which are answering some of those fundamental questions. Um, a lot of it is dealing with fundamental lunar science, like what Ben talked about, um, the formation, evolution of the moon, but a lot of it can be done at the South Polar region. So characterizing the environment and processes that we have at the poles. What's the exosphere like? Uh, we can look at some of the impact history of the Earth-Moon system by trying to get samples from the South Polar Basin, for example. But it's not just lunar fundamental science that we can do there. We can do some astrophysical, heliophysical, and Earth observations. For example, you can have a high energy optical solar observatory in the South Polar region where you have a lot of illumination. So we can do a lot of really fantastic science on the moon that yes, are dealing with the moon, but there's also other things that we can accomplish as well. The second theme is feed forward, uh, which is again, preparing us for other destinations, other airless bodies. I'll talk about this a little bit more 
in just a minute. So I'm going to skip forward to sustainability. And sustainability is being able to be on the lunar present on the lunar surface for an extended period of time. There's a lot of corollaries between sustainability and feed forward, but a lot of what needs to be accomplished with sustainability is preparing for commerce by having production on the lunar surface of oxygen and of water, establishing an in-situ production of life support, of power system reagents, propellants, all sorts of other consumables that we'll need to have that McMurdo-style uh, base. To give you just a little bit of idea of how we get even deeper down from there, uh, I wanted to take a minute to look at the feed forward. So there's three main goals in the feed forward theme. Uh, test technologies on the moon to enable exploration, use the moon as a test bed for mission operations and exploration techniques, and prepare for future missions to airless bodies. A lot of this is developing in situ resource utilization systems. We have to establish those. But before that, we need to determine what the distribution of volatile components are. Uh, we need to be able to really understand what is there. Also in the roadmap, we have uh, some time phasing and science priorities. This does not go through hyper-specific times of this has to be accomplished by this date, but it does go through what needs to happen relatively early, middle, and late. So something that would be early would be robotic precursor missions and then and human landings that last up to one lunar day. Whereas a middle time phasing would be continuing with robotics, but have human stays that are going to last up to part of a lunar night. So we're extending that a little bit and then developing that initial outpost. And then items that happen later would be when we have established an outpost and we have human presence that's on the moon for over 30 days at a time. One of the other things that's prioritized in there is, is actually science. And this is prioritized in terms of high and low and medium. So high science priority are the really essential bits of information and technological developments that we have to have to facilitate habitation on the lunar surface, further exploration, and facilitate large advancements in science. The low science priority does not mean that it's not important. These are still really good to do, but they're not as essential for habitation and exploration, and it's maybe more of that incremental science advances. Incremental science advances are not a bad thing. They're still really important to have. And then medium is just kind of somewhere in the middle. So between these two, the time phasing and the science priority, uh, we start to get an idea of how we can accomplish this sustainable presence on the moon and using the moon to explore other bodies. So the lunar exploration roadmap is really telling us how, again, how to get to the moon to stay, um, to be sustainable. And we've heard this before, Ben even used this, this term that the moon is the cornerstone of our solar system exploration. And the roadmap itself is, again, a reference for getting to the moon to stay, for utilizing the moon to expand our presence throughout the solar system, but then also for facilitating the development of the cislunar economy. And you can see this roadmap leads us straight to the moon, or the, this road does, but there's this extra component. The roadmap is not just leading us to the moon. 
the roadmap is taking us to the moon, but also away from the moon to explore the rest of the solar system. And this becomes a very philosophical thing. You know, we always wonder where we are in the solar system and our place. So maybe we go to Mars, maybe we go somewhere else in the solar system, but we need to go to the moon first. So the moon is an enabling asset that unites our exploration go goals across different destinations, and it really is the foundation to humanity's understanding of our place in space and in time. And we've heard about the gateway for around the moon, but really the moon is the true gateway to the entire solar system. That was Amy Fagan of the Lunar and Planetary Institute. Marshall Smith is the Director of Human Lunar Exploration Programs at NASA Headquarters. His starting point is President Trump's Space Policy Directive. A lot of times people in, in my world uh, get focused on building rockets and get focused on building hardware and they forget why we're doing this. And I have to continually remind them sometimes that, you know, our goal is to go out uh, working with commercial and international partners to expand humans across the solar system, to bring back new knowledge and opportunities. And, you know, it, it's really in my mind about, you know, expanding the things that you guys are doing about science. That's why we're doing this. We, we want to understand our environment, our universe, and it helps us have better lives as we move forward. And so, so that's really the goal. And my goal is to enable that activity to happen uh, by building hardware and systems and, and, uh, and getting humans to the places that we want to go to, to, to enable that. So, you know, we just want to remind everybody about the International Space Station. Um, you know, we've been uh, using the International Space Station as our only, really our only long duration test platform that we have in space. Um, we've been using it uh, very heavily for deep space, uh, to prepare for deep space operations. Um, <clears throat> and at the same time, you know, we've been using the work it to turn it over to low earth orbit operation to private industry. You know, we, we see science continuing there. Uh, it's been a very valuable science platform. Um, you know, the ISS has been continuously crewed. Um, that allows us to have a lot of uh, testing capability and, and, and to work on our science experiments, of course, with a the crew there all the time. That won't be the case um, with the gateway as we move out. Uh, we'll be crew tending those systems, but eventually as we move forward to going to uh, other systems, the moon and beyond, uh, we'll, we'll have longer durations in, in space at that time. Smith then went on to outline the plan for the early years of Artemis as it stood as of May 2020. So, yeah, so I, a lot of you guys have seen this. Um, I'm not going to go into it in detail. I'll just kind of highlight some changes. You know, nothing's changed on the first two missions, Artemis 1 and Artemis 2. I will say that on Artemis 2, we've made a recent decision to do some rendezvous and prox ops work on Artemis 2, and uh, we're, we're moving out on that. Uh, that'll help us reduce some risk for later missions. Uh, the other thing that we did is we uh, took the gateway and instead of launching the power propulsion element and the habitation and logistics outpost or HALO independently, uh, we went ahead and combined those into one single launch. It's an integrated system that will will launch in 2023. That's the targeted late 23 uh, to launch that system. So it'll be on orbit um, in the 24 timeframe. And so that system will go up and it'll begin science operations at that time. There's 
And then, of course, we'll continue to outfit uh, the gateway with science capability as we uh, expand it for phase two and beyond. Uh, we will launch the initial human landing system. Uh, it'll be delivered to lunar orbit. Uh, actually, to the right now, we're still targeting the gateway orbit. Um, and then... Um, and then we will also uh, send up the uh, on ESD with the uh, with through ESD with the SLS and Orion. Um, we will launch uh, the Orion crew to meet up with the lander and then go down to the surface of the moon and conduct a mission. But we are going to the South Pole. The unmanned Artemis One and Artemis Two missions will carry CubeSats that will perform both technical and scientific missions. A CubeSat is a small satellite, usually several tens of centimetres in size. Just to kind of talk a little bit about Artemis 1, that's our next big milestone, which is uh, uh, the first integrated flight test of the Orion and the SLS system launching from Kennedy. Uh, it will be uncrewed, but, uh, and we'll, but it's going to be a very comprehensive test that will test the systems uh, completely. Now, we'll say... We are carrying 13 uh, secondary payloads or CubeSat missions with us. Some of them will be dropped off uh, closer to Earth, some of them about the midpoint, and some of them close to the moon, uh, depending upon their, their needs. Uh, as we move forward with Artemis II, we're, we have the possibility of carrying CubeSats there as well, uh, although that will be uh, limited. Uh, it depends on, I think, I think the, the limitation will be the impacts from having to do the run of them prox ops may impact our overall capability to do uh, do CubeSats. Also, that mission is not going directly to the moon. The interim crowd propulsion stage uh, is is uh, uh, used up during the high elliptical orbit that we, we are using. So it actually doesn't go to the moon until it does a disposal burn. So, um, you know, we'll have to go forward and, and work with our science folks through Jake and others as to how we, what, what availability we'll have on Artemis 2 for additional probes. But on Artemis 1, we have Lunar IR, Lunar Ice Cube, Luna HMAP, and Lunar Flashlight that are focused in on, on uh, these cubes, that'll stay focused in on the lunar environment uh, of these CubeSats. The Lunar Gateway will be a space station in lunar orbit. It will occasionally be inhabited and will carry scientific experiments. Gateway is much smaller than the International Space Station. Again, NASA is going to develop the Gateway and our partners. The goal of the Gateway is to establish a sustained human presence uh, on and around the moon over the next decade. Uh, this system will remain in lunar orbit. We'll have uh, the ability to put uh, science uh, on board and, and have long duration exposure in deep space, which will be... Uh, very interesting to us as we're about to move into deep space for long durations with crew and uh, uh, getting that information, getting data in that environment will be very critical. Okay, uh, the first gateway components, again, I already talked about them being launched in 23. That'll, that'll contain the uh, PPE, power propulsion element from Maxar, which is a solar electric propulsion system. 60 kilowatt uh, solar electric propulsion system, and it's going to be coupled with uh, Habitation and Logistics Outpost, or HALO, uh, built by Northrop Grumman. They'll be integrated and launched together. You know, looking at early ga gateway science payloads is also an international endeavor. We, you know, we, we're looking at not only what we can do, um, not only what we can do uh, in our country, but uh, for example, we're going to be also flying ESA's uh, radiation instrument package, which will help us understand how to keep astronauts safe, monitoring radiation exposure, and uh, NASA is going to be launching a solar weather experiment suite, that instrument suite that'll uh, you know help us observe solar particles 
and solar wind created by the sun. Um, again, already mentioned, we uh, needed to select some instruments that were ready to go very quickly because this is on a very, very tight schedule. But as we move forward with Gateway, there'll be more opportunities and, and uh, folks will go through a, a process where we can understand um, how we can get experiments uh, on Gateway and on other systems, such as systems that are going down to the surface, you know, habitation systems on the future, rovers, things like that. There, there are lots of opportunities coming up as we go to a sustainable system. So I talked a minute ago about the GLS or Gateway Logistics Services. Sometimes you call it, you'll hear it called Deep Space Logistics Service, but but its goal is to support uh, the crewed missions that go to Gateway and the lunar surface. Uh, SpaceX won that contract. We announced that contract uh, and uh, they will be the first provider. They're, they're not the only provider. This is a uh, contract that is similar in construction to the uh, cargo uh, resupply uh, services um, contracts or, or commercial crew. We can have other other players on ramp as we move forward, but they were the first one selected. And again, it will has a capability to deliver five metric tons of cargo capability, and we, we have power for internal and external payloads, so there may be opportunities there as well as we move forward. The Lunar Gateway is now scheduled for launch in November of 2023. One of the early Artemis landing sites will be in or near Shackleton Crater, which is in the South Pole region. So just kind of get a, a scale. I don't think a lot of people really think about They think about going to the moon and we're going to go to a PSR permanently shadowed region no big deal, but it actually is a huge deal because, for example, if we go to Shackleton Crater, it's huge. It's it's 20 kilometers in diameter, four kilometers deep, and three times wider than the Grand Canyon. So kind of put that in scale when we talk about landing. You know, we have to land close to the PSRs, and then we have to um, – we have to really travel uh, to those PSRs because of the of the uh, angles that you know we have to have relatively flat area to land those types of things. So it's not like we can land right on top of a PSR, get out, walk out, and just go grab some some ice in the in the dark and then come back. Uh, it's a pretty big deal. The first human Artemis mission to land on the moon will be Artemis three. Later missions will need a lunar terrain vehicle to carry astronauts away from their lander. Is we're, we're, we're looking at pressurized and unpressurized vehicles. So the LTV, the lunar terrain vehicle, is the unpressurized rover. Uh, we would like to see that as early as 2024, but it's probably going to be more like 25 or so uh, as we get a crew uh, capability to, to uh, enable our ability to move around on the surface of the moon. Um, this won't be just your, this is not your grandpa's uh, lunar buggy, a moon buggy, as, as uh, uh, some people might call it, where you kind of use it once. This is something we plan to use over and over. Uh, we want to autonomously use it. We would like science capability, uh, use it like a rover, like we're familiar with on Mars or, or other places where we can move around and, run, and move it autonomously and, and use it for sample and science experiments when we're not using it on the crew. The crew will be there roughly a week or so and until we start increasing our duration on the surface with the surface habitat. Uh, the crew won't be there about that long and we don't want that asset sitting there unused. So we would like science to be able to use that. Also, if we want to land in another area, we can actually pre-position this lunar terrain vehicle at the landing site. We can move it between landing sites. That was Marshall Smith, the director of NASA's Human Lunar Exploration Programs.
In his younger days, James Head was deeply involved in the Apollo science support team. These days, he is at Brown University on Rhode Island and is dispensing advice to the Artemis Project scientists. In March of 2022, he was asked about plans to land on the highlands of the lunar far side. Well, I think you don't want to land uh, 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 without direct communications or at least indirect communications with the home station. I think, you know, we, we actually thought about this in Apollo. We thought maybe we might, might be able to land in Tsiolkovsky on the far side, but that requires a communications relay satellite. And at that time, it was viewed as too, uh, <laughs> not so much too expensive, but too dangerous. That is, if they were on the far side of the moon and the relay satellite didn't work, then they'd be in real, real problem, real trouble. But the Chinese have, um, in fact, uh, been able to um, put into orbit a relay satellite, communication satellite, and demonstrated that it's it's possible and feasible, and that enabled them to land uh, the Chang'e four mission uh, in the far side, in the middle of the South Pole Aiken Basin, and uh, so they have the capability to do that. It requires a, a relay satellite. The United States could do that uh, with the Artemis program. Uh, and anyone can do it in the future. Uh, you know, it, this is a good reason for international scientific cooperation and collaboration. Maybe we could share um, the Chinese communication satellite uh, so that we didn't have to send one for each country, but rather we we work on scientific collaboration um, uh, to, uh, in fact, uh, share those resources. So uh, the Artemis mission will land in the South Circumpolar region. Uh, but it will be uh, essentially uh, in visual communication, uh, direct communication uh, with Earth uh, capabilities at the present time. Maybe in the future, um, the communication satellites will enable us to move further away out of direct communication with the Earth. 